Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. We're super glad that you're here. Um, before we get started, I wanted to introduce to you, introduce to you the, uh, some of the newest members of, of our family, of the Wolf Pack. Uh, we got chickens! I'm so excited about them. There's six of them. Uh, and uh, we're really excited. We got them actually a couple weeks ago. The thought was originally that we were going to get them for Easter and surprise our girls with them, but we couldn't wait. We just wanted to go get them. So we've had them for a couple weeks, but uh, really exciting. They're getting all their feathers and super fun. Uh, in July, we're expecting our first set of eggs. Very exciting. Um, and uh, we can't wait for that. Now, this isn't actually our first flock. Uh, this is technically our our third flock, and uh, I don't know, stuff happens to birds sometimes, and so you need new flocks, but one of, one of the flocks, actually, we got two birds um, from our oldest daughter. When she was in preschool, they did, like, the egg incubator thing, where the egg, like, they get to watch the eggs in this warm little turning thing, and eventually they come into school one day, and the eggs have hatched, and there were two little chicks, and they kept them in a swimming pool, and the kids got to sit in the swimming pool and hold the chickens, and me and my husband, we were like, what are you, like, going to do with those afterwards? And they were like, oh, maybe we'll just let them out in the desert, and the coyotes will get them or something. And we were like, oh, well, we'll take them. Like, that's fine. We can take them. So that was one of our flocks we got from the preschool, um, and it was so funny because one of the birds we think, we lived in Phoenix, right, so some of this then makes sense, coyotes, desert. Um, one of the birds got stung by a scorpion, we think, and it died, but the other bird became my oldest best friend. Like, she would do everything with this chicken, and she would snuggle with it on the hammock. They'd go on the swing set together. She tried to put it on the trampoline one time. Um, she wanted to watch TV with it. Like, she loved this chicken. I don't even remember what this chicken's name is, but we lived, like, we didn't live on a farm. We didn't live with lots of land. We lived, like, in a suburb community, and within the limits of, of that suburb community, like, you weren't, you were allowed to have a, a hen, but you couldn't have a rooster. And so she knew that when that chicken was 20 weeks old, it would either lay an egg, which meant we got to keep it, and she could keep her chicken, or it would cock-a-doodle-doo, and then we couldn't keep the chicken. So 20 weeks go by, give or take a week or two, and uh, we um, uh, are sleeping still, and all of a sudden my oldest runs into our room with tears streaming down her face and she goes mama mama I heard a -a cock-a-doodle-doo I heard a -a cock-a-doodle-doo she was crying and just crying she was so upset because she knew what that meant she knew that it was a rooster and we weren't gonna be able to keep this rooster um now we kind of are unorthodox parents I guess And we thought that this would be a really good idea to make sure that this was a good example of, like, the circle of life. Of, like, hey, this is what happens. There is life and there is death. And uh, so Zach took that chicken um, outside and he butchered it. And then um, we ate it for dinner. (laughs) We really wanted to make sure our kids knew that this is how things went. This is what it looked like. Now, we didn't try to hide the fact that we ate her beloved And she actually took it quite well because this is how she responded that night at dinner. There's a little video. Bark, 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 bark. 
might have traumatized her a little bit. We'll see what happens when she gets older. But <laughs> we thought that it was really good to teach them about life and about death. And we wanted them to understand that death was just a part of life and that you just had to kind of accept it and that things die and that when they die, things stay dead. Like that's kind of how it works. But then there's like a bit of a problem because I go and I teach my kids that dead things stay dead. And then every year Easter comes around and we have this like really weird thing to then wrap our heads around and teach our children. All of a sudden, there seems to be the celebration of this incredible and unbelievable exception to this rule. Dead things no longer stay dead. Around Easter time, we are reminded that dead things have this very real possibility to become alive again. I mean... This is the day where followers of Jesus celebrate that though he died on a Friday, he came back to life three days later. This is an exciting thing. Uh, But there's this continuous curiosity that haunts my mind. There's these questions that I ask, and I don't know if you ask the same ones. But I am tempted to wonder what kind of other things can actually come alive again. Like, Jesus can, the incarnate God, but is there anything else? Is there anything else that can come to life again after being dead? And, and also with that question comes, at what point has something been dead too long for it to come back to life? I mean, the story of Jesus tells us that three days wasn't too long, but, but can it be dead a week? Can it be dead for years? Can it be dead for decades? Can it be dead for a lifetime and something come back to life? Now, we often shortchange ourselves into thinking that the celebration of Easter is just about what happened to Jesus. But what happened to Jesus, what Jesus did, is actually uh, an indicator of what will and is happening to us to you and to me and to all of creation. Because of Jesus, dead things don't stay dead. Because of Jesus, dead things are brought back to life. Now, I, I, know, I know that that is totally crazy. But to get to this idea that Easter isn't just about Jesus coming back to life, that it's about sort of the resurrection of all of us, we've got to head back in the story to this guy named Ezekiel. See, long before Easter, in Scripture, we're given the story by this guy named Ezekiel about a bunch of bones. And I want to give you a little bit of context for this whole thing. About right here in your Bibles, God creates the world. He creates all of creation, and it is this perfect creation without sin, without brokenness, without death, without suffering, without pain. I mean, the world works the way it's supposed to. If you've ever had that thing inside of you when you're watching the news or you're watching something go down and you just have this sense in you that this isn't the way things are supposed to be, you're right. This isn't the way things are supposed to be. The world was created perfect with this perfect relationship between humans and between us and God. Creation. But about here, we mess the whole thing up. 
See, God had sort of asked us to trust him, to trust that he knew best, to trust that he was going to protect us, to trust who he said he was actually is, who he said he was, actually who he is. And we kind of said, ah, but I think I know a better way. I think I know how to do this better than you, God. And we chose our own path, and through doing that, sin and brokenness and pain and suffering and death sort of enter the world, and everything is changed. But then, right here, God starts this plan, this epic plan for redemption, this epic plan for resurrection for all of creation, for all of humanity, for all of the animals and all the chickens that we've killed, all of the things. He has an epic plan for restoration and reconciliation. So then about here, he picks this guy named Abraham and he says, hey, I want to have a special relationship with you. We're going to have a special covenant and I'm going to pour out my blessing upon you and I'm going to bless you and bless you and I'm going to walk with you. And with that, Abraham, you are going to be a blessing to all of the other nations. You're going to show the world what my love looks like because you, Abraham, are going to love other people the way that I, God, love people. And then Abraham winds up having a family. And then that family turns into a nation. And God continues to walk with this nation. And he says, listen, nation, you bless others. You love others like I love others. You care for the poor, care for the widow, and care for the orphan. Anybody on the margins, on the outskirts of society, you love them. You care for them. You protect them. You bring them in. You don't seek power or prestige for yourself, but instead you do so maybe to bless other people. Any power you've given is used to protect and used to bless and used to reflect God to the whole world. And at first the people were like, yes, this sounds great. We will do it. That sounds wonderful. But then they don't. They don't do it. They start thinking, no, 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 God, I know a better way. I have a better plan. I think I know how to do this better than you know how to do this. And so they don't love the poor and the orphan and the widows. They don't protect those on the margins. They, they don't reflect the image of God to the world. And so God again and again and again tries to get their attention and says, please listen to me. And they won't listen. And he says, okay, well, if you're not going to reflect my image, if you're not going to represent me to the world, then you can't be in this place because you're hurting people. And so God sends them out of the land. An army actually comes and removes them. They drags them off and, and takes them into captivity. And they leave and the people are like, God, what are you doing? Everything is hopeless. Everything's falling apart. Everything's all messed up and broken. And, and there's suffering and there's pain and there's death. And what the heck is going on? And it's in the middle of all of that that God actually speaks to this guy. This guy named Ezekiel. See, he hadn't walked away from God and God hadn't walked away from him. They still had this relationship and Ezekiel was trying to live a life where he reflected God to the people. That he reflected this is what God's love looked like. This is what God's care looks like and his justice looks like. And so in the middle of all of this hopelessness, God one day speaks to Ezekiel. And God told Ezekiel to tell the people that God had a plan to restore the people, that God had a plan to bring them back to the land and, and to regenerate their position as the people of God. 
But he didn't just tell them this plan. He actually showed Ezekiel this plan. In Ezekiel chapter 37, it says this. It says, the hand of the Lord was on me. That's Ezekiel. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley. The bones that were very, very dry. See, the way that God shows Ezekiel this amazing thing that's going to happen is that he brings Ezekiel by the spirit in this valley that's filled with bones, this, this desert that's filled with bones. And it's not bones that just recently got scattered there. It's, it's that they have been there for years, that the birds have come and picked all of the stuff off of the bones, that the bones are white because they've been bleached by the sun. The bones are long dead and gone. And it's not just one or two bones. It's many, maybe even hundreds. It later says that this was a vast army that had been slain. Imagine an army left to rot on the battlefield. Now, in Jewish culture, bodies that were left out to rot and dry in the sun, to be picked at by the birds, this was a great disgrace and shame. In fact, it was kind of like those bodies and those bones that they were cursed. And Ezekiel is just walking in and out of these bones. They're strewn through the desert, and he's wandering to and fro. And finally, God turns to Ezekiel, and he speaks to him, and he asks him a question, and he says, Son of man, son of man, can these bones live? Bleached by the sun, picked over by the birds. Son of man, can these bones live? Now, in our understanding, the answer is nope, can't live. They are dead, dead dead. Dead things stay dead. And yet the prophet knows that God must be up to something. So he doesn't necessarily doubt the power of God, but he's really not sure what to do with this. He doesn't know what God has planned. And so he replies this way. He says, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Now it's easy for us to dismiss both the question that God asks Ezekiel and his answer. But to put it into perspective, I want you to allow yourself for a second to be brought by the Spirit into a valley of dry bones. Think about it for a second, that you are surrounded by dry, picked over, bleached bones. And each bone represents an area of your life that feels hopeless, that feels dead. Not just semi-hopeless or slightly dead, but totally completely, hopelessly dead. Perhaps it's a struggling or a failed marriage or an illness with a poor prognosis or a depression that just keeps lingering deep. Perhaps it's childlessness or a broken relationship or violence that has been thrust upon you. It's an addiction or, or entanglement in corruption. And as you walk to and fro... God turns to you and he asks you, can these bones yet live? How do you reply to this? Now, some of us would have this really gut reaction of like, no, they can't live. We're done. Others of us would try to conjure up some sort of churchy answer and say, Jesus can do anything. But this situation, are you kidding me? These bones are dead. 
There's no hope in these situations. But reflect on Ezekiel's answer for a second. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. It allows for this slightest shred of hope to just kind of merge beyond the horizon, to kind of peek through the craft on a door, crack on a door. It's not full confidence. It's not, oh, sovereign Lord, you can do anything. No, 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 no. It's not that. It's this little peep squeak of hope. Only you know. You can almost hear Ezekiel's resignation. I don't know what you're doing here, but you must be doing something. And then Ezekiel's given these instructions. Then he, God, said to me, Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. And so Ezekiel spoke to the bones. And as he was speaking to them, there was a noise that came from the horizon. There was a rattling and there was a shaking. The bones began to come together. And then tendons began to attach the bones together. And muscles began to form around the bones. And then the flesh began to cover them. And then they laid there like sleeping bodies or, or maybe fresh corpses all around, not fully alive. And God prompts Ezekiel again. He says, tell breath to enter into their body so that they will live. And so I prophesied, I, Ezekiel, prophesied as God commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army. Guys, this is crazy. Dry bones all of a sudden coming together to form corpses and then breath comes into them and they stand and they rise. This whole valley of dry bones has just come together. He brings life. It's something so far beyond possible. And God isn't just interested in restoring a corpse because life is not just about flesh and bone but about spirit. The breath must come too. He's, God is interested in total restoration of the thing that has died. He doesn't just bring half-life. He's not satisfied with sleeping corse, corpses. He brings life and life to the full, and that is insane. Now, if that's not crazy enough, God then explains to Ezekiel what this whole thing is about, what this whole vision is about, and he says this. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open up your graves, and I'm going to bring you out from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Now, this whole valley of the dry bones thing is a vision for what God plans to do for his people. They thought that they were cut off. They thought all hope was gone. They thought it was dead, 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 dead. And that God says, I will bring new life. I have new life for you. I will open up your grave and I will bring you out. You will not just be a walking corpse. You will have your, the spirit of God in you. 
You aren't just resuscitated. You are resurrected. And, and here's the coolest part. He says, God says that when he does this, then you will know that I am the Lord. So oftentimes we think that we have to know that he's the Lord before all this thing happens. We have to like have all of our theology right, all of our beliefs right, all of our actions have to be right, and then we'll be revived, and then we'll know, and then, and then we'll be revived. And, and God says, no, 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 no. <laughs> First I'm going to revive you, then you'll be sure that I'm the Lord. Then we'll figure out the theology thing. Then we'll figure out the action thing. But, but first, let me bring you life. Just say, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Only you know if this can be revived. And then God brings life. And then you know. And then you know that he is the Lord. Now, this was all just a vision that Ezekiel received. It was just a vision until one day, hundreds of years later, 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus. He was God wrapped in flesh. And he was crucified on a Friday. And he died, and his body was taken down off the cross. And the book of Matthew tells us that a rich, name, a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea, who was a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and said, Hey, can I have the body? Can I have the lifeless corpse? And Pilate said, yeah, you can have it. And so Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in linen. And he placed it in his family's tomb. Now, this particular tomb wasn't like a tomb that we currently have where it's a hole in the ground. Instead, it was sort of like a cave that had been hand cut and carved into a rock. And inside of this tomb, inside of this rock that had been howled, uh, hollowed, hollowed out. There were all of these chambers and niches and then one or two stone benches. And the purpose of these stone benches is that a corpse that had been wrapped in linen would be laid on one of these benches for about a year until everything started to fall apart and the bones could be collected and put into a bone box and then the bone box would be put into one of those niches with all the other beloved family members. And so Joseph did as was expected. He wrapped Jesus' body in the linen. He laid it out on the wooden um, stone bench. He was placed in the tomb. And we're told by Matthew that a big stone was rolled in front of the entrance to the tomb. And everyone went away. Because dead things stay dead. There was nothing more to do. There was nothing more to say. There was nothing more to see. But then two women, who had given their entire lives to caring for and following Jesus, stayed just waiting. Now, maybe it was out of grief, or maybe under their breath they were whispering, Sovereign Lord, only you know. And eventually they went home only to return a few days later, perhaps still wondering and still repeating, Sovereign Lord. Only you know. And while on the way to the tomb, Matthew tells us that there was a violent earthquake. For the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and then sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. 
The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell the disciples, He has risen from the dead, and he's going on ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Have you ever felt afraid yet filled with joy? I've experienced this so intensely twice in my life, and it was after the birth of each of my daughters. Afraid yet filled with joy, this life-altering moment of who in the world entrusted me with this, but overwhelming joy afraid yet filled with joy and they ran to tell his disciples suddenly jesus met them greetings he said now this sounds so formal greetings earthling right but it's really just jesus saying hi 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 (laughs) that's it and so they came to him they clasped his feet and they worshiped him and then jesus said to them do not be afraid Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Hi, don't be afraid. Go on, tell my brothers. I'll see you in Galilee. Dead things don't stay dead. This proclamation of an empty tomb is the proclamation that with Jesus... In Jesus, dead things don't stay dead. In Jesus, dead things, dry bones, buried and hopeless things are brought to life. He walked out of the grave, and you and me are walking out of the grave, too. Now, you might be thinking, the thing in front of me, the dead bones that surround me, or even maybe you are the dead bones, You may be looking at those things or thinking about those things and saying, yeah, but these things feel very much dead. (laughs) These things feel very much hopeless. They still seem dead. It doesn't seem to be that we are walking out of anything. And I totally get that. And I'm going to try to explain this thing the best way that I can. Now, like I said earlier, we moved here from Phoenix about three years ago. And uh, I just want to share this with you. In Phoenix, the weather report... On January 1 is like bright, hot, and sunny. And then they just copy and paste that for every day of the year. (laughs) Sometimes it's hotter or blazing, but hot, bright, sunny every day of the year. There's really no seasons. But then we moved here, and we have these things called seasons. And it's a really nice idea until about January or February. And there's this thing that starts to happen around January and February where you become so cold and hidden inside of your oversized winter coat that you begin to think that this is all there is and will ever be. That life will just be one freezing run from a building to the car again and again and again. That your toes will never have enough socks and that... Your skin will always be cracked and dry. This is it. This is all there ever will be. 
But then the day comes in like late March or like early April when the temperature hits just over 40 degrees. We only had this a couple weeks ago. And everyone's like, what is happening? Kids are running outside in shorts. They're like, let's get the sprinkler. And you're like, no. And if it stays there for even just a day or two, something miraculous happens. Along the sidewalks, you begin to see this. Even if there's snow still on the ground, there's this daring green that begins to pop up out of the ground. It's this reminder that winter isn't all there is, that something more is coming, that even while you're still cold and frozen, something more is coming. And then one day, like overnight, something more pops out of this little bud, and there's like this epically beautiful flower. But even still, the snow may fall It may get pummeled by snow and cold may come again, but there is this symbol amidst the white freezing wind that says summer is coming, that life is coming, that was what that which was once dead and seemed hopeless is not all there is. Do you remember what that felt like just a couple weeks ago? This is what it felt like to the women. Who met Jesus on that road? This is what it feels like in the believer's heart to know that the pain and suffering and stuckness and addiction and broken relationships that we experience on the daily is not all there is. And Jesus' resurrection is this daring bit of green hope that is popping up amidst the snow and saying there is something more than this that is coming. And it's not just for Jesus. Jesus did it so that we can all experience this life and this resurrection. That no matter how far dead and gone we may feel, no matter how hopeless the situations in our life are, there is life and there is resurrection that is coming. Now today, I want to pray for all of you. I know that a lot of us in this room have some dry bones that surround us. And maybe if we're honest, we are the dry bones. And I want to pray that you would experience the resurrection of Jesus this year as something more than just the excitement of what happened to him, but that you would know it and you would experience it, that it proclaims something greater for us too, that the dry bones that surround you are being brought to life. Now, for those of you who are already in a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to pray that you have this renewed hope, that you have this renewed confidence that God is working to bring life to the dry and dead places of your life. And for those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, I'm praying that today would be the day, that maybe today won't be the day where you just throw away all of your cares and all of your Uh, objections and all of your concerns about what this means to follow Jesus. But maybe today would just be the day that you would look at the dry bones and you would turn to God and say, God, you alone know that maybe today would be the day where you just had this sliver of hope peep through your life. Now I'm going to invite the band to come up and as we worship, 
I'm going to ask that you would do something that's strange on a celebration day. That you would allow the images and the feelings and emotions of those dry bones to actually surround you. For you to really, really pay attention to what those things are. And that you would listen and see if the voice of God might ask you this question, can these bones really live? And I am praying that your response would be, God, you alone know. Because our hope is alive today because Jesus is alive. Let's pray together. Father God, you alone know. You alone know the dry and dead bones that surround us, the hopeless situations that we find ourselves in, the ways that we have tried to fix it and tried to reconcile and tried to whatever, and it just hasn't worked. And so it feels like it can't happen, but then you give us the story. And you say that dead things can be brought out of the grave, that you did something 2,000 years ago that changed everything. And so, Father God, we come to you and we say, only you know. Only you know what can be done with this. And so we ask that you would give us just that, that, that little crack of hope. That we would be able to celebrate the resurrection of your son today. As we celebrate the daring green that pops out of the winter. That is this reminder that summer, summer is coming and life is coming. So would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to our souls? Would you begin to revive us? Would you begin to resurrect us? We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Would you stand as we worship together?